Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and megatrends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. How diversity in small business increases sales and growth. This is a super cool topic. I'm really excited to talk about today. So th this whole topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, it's an acronym that I think is well known to large enterprises for you know, a couple decades. Um, I, I think increasingly clearly our society, um, whichever, you know, whether you lean right, you lean left, whatever news program you watch, clearly uh, equity and inclusion is, is increasingly fo a, a larger focal point, right? Um, but I think for small business owners, um, so many folks are just, they're, they're white knuckling it, right? They're, they're trying to stay compliant with laws. They're trying to grow their business. They're facing a labor shortage like they've never faced before. Uh, it, it, and they're just trying to do their darndest to simply grow their business. They're ethical people. They're not trying to do anything wrong. And, and I think DEI may just kind of fall in the background and it isn't an area of focus for them. Uh, but we're here today to have a conversation to prove, because now we have data that does it, that proves diversity literally can help you grow your business. And we have the perfect guest for it. So uh, Erica Fletcher, uh, she's a global DEI leader. She has 20 plus years of experience across diversity, equity, and inclusion in HR and has executed global DEI strategies to drive company-wide impact, interpreted global strategies into local plans, and led cross-functional teams to drive company change initiatives. Erica earned her MBA from Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management. She currently, she's currently Global Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Hiscox, founded in 1901, and is America's leading small business insurer. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm really glad to be here today. So I think anybody watching today, they probably know what DEI is, but Let's just start with a with, with what your definition. What is DEI? What does it stand for? And I think specifically, what what does it mean for small businesses? Sure. So if you break DEI down, D stands for diversity, and it's really a set of facts. You know, what, what kind of representation do you have on your team? You know, in your employees. Um, inclusion is about the actions you take, how do you include people, what kind of a team do you have set up, what kind of an environment or culture. And equity is really about structure and what are some of the things that you have in place that um, give people what they need to be successful in this environment, this work environment that you've set up. So DEI are really a, a three-pronged approach to creating the kind of workplace and the environment where you can all be successful, you know, as individuals, but also as a team, as a company. 
Yeah. And I think that it's really important today um, because it's not just, and a lot of people will talk about it being the right thing to do. And I won't argue against that. It is, it is the right thing to do. It's, it's the way, you know, we should be treating each other as human beings, et cetera. Um, but there's also a really compelling business case for why diversity, equity, and inclusion um, can really uh, support your business in being successful. So, um, and recently, Hiscox put out a uh, diversity and small business report where we had commissioned um, some research um, that proves yeah. that very point. Yeah, I, I, I want to jump into that data. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because like as is watching some interviews of you on YouTube and, and reading the report and preparing for today's conversation, you know, you work for a big company, but 3,500 employees, I think, Hiscox, right? So um, I think you, you, you live the perfect life here because on one hand, DEI has been a large enterprise thing, I think, predominantly for the last, call it 20 years. But your customer is small businesses, just like, a, just like a shore, right? And so you commissioned this study specifically for small businesses. Can, can you break it down? Like, how, how did you construct it? How did you approach designing the questions? What, what, were the, what was the information you were hoping to get? And then obviously, let's unpack the results. Sure. So we um, we had gone out and surveyed um, these companies to really try to understand, first of all, what kind of diversity was there? Are we talking about gender diversity, men and women? Are we talking about ethnic diversity? Um, we primarily focused on those two aspects. Of course, diversity, you know, you've got religious and uh, disabilities and, and, you know, et cetera. It goes on and on and on. But we focused on those two um, to start, because I think that's where most people first think of diversity um, is around, you know, sex or ethnicity. Um, and we're really trying to understand, um, and particularly we published this in 2022. So we're coming, you know, hopefully towards the, the tail end of the pandemic. And um, I think right. that businesses were challenged in ways they'd never been challenged before. So we were asking questions around, um, you know, what did your, what does your growth look like during this time frame? Um, you know, what about your market share, your innovation, coming up with new ideas, um, and, and really looking at the resiliency and the strength of small businesses in yeah. the U.S., um, and how that relates back to these aspects of diversity and inclusion. And so I think that the results, while they were not surprising to us, um, yeah. I think they really uh, uh, were able to uh, draw out, you know, again, some of those really compelling reasons why we need to be paying attention to diversity and inclusion in, in small businesses. Yeah, one of the things, that, and we're going to get to it quickly here, one of the things that really jumped out to me was I expected you wouldn't have published the study for me first to see the results unless there was a positive correlation to growth, right? And the fact that there is is, a, is amazing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I really thought it was super cool how you, especially eyes wide open coming out of a pandemic, okay, people are going to be growing, right? Uh, and so whether they do it well or not, there's going to be some growth, but you're comparing not just the rate of growth and how, how many of them grow, but also uh, how the impact on innovation. Uh, I, I thought that was a really cool aspect to the study. So, I, I, you know, lay, lay it on us. What's the difference in just actual revenue growth? Does a, does, does a firm grow comparing those who have diverse workforces versus those who do not? 
Absolutely. Um, we found that uh, small businesses that had medium to high diversity representation um, actually were growing. They had sales increases, um, a 31% increase over the previous two years, which I think is pretty compelling. Um, yeah. We also yeah. found that uh, companies, again, that had high racial and ethnic diversity amongst their managers and their owners were growing by 25% um, more compared to the companies that did, did not have that representation it, you know, in sales as well. Can you, can, can you, can, yeah, I, I, to me, one of the things I was thinking through, it's like, okay, coming out of a pandemic, companies are probably going to grow, right? Because the economic opportunity for everyone, whether you do this well or you do this poorly, but it's that contrast. Can you, what, what did you see in the difference between the, uh, the, 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 the highly diverse companies versus those companies that were, not, uh, were not? What, what else jumped out? Sure. So again, the companies that had that um, that uh, moderate to high racial and ethnic diversity, they were seeing that um, 62% of them, 62% said that, you know, that diversity, they felt that it was really driving an increase in their customer base, um, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Um, they also said that 65% of them said that they saw an increase in their publicity due to um, what they said was an increased social awareness. So they were looking at some of the different themes and, and things that were being talked about in their communities and in the media and really, uh, you know, striving to better understand what were some of those themes, you know, why why should they you know learn more about those and because of that social awareness that they were de developing they felt that um that really helped them increase some of their publicity and what's also really interesting is 65 percent of them said that that lasted um at least six months or more so it's not it wasn't just a temporary blip it's something that they felt was you know looking at a, a sustained trend and in, in, in help me remember, uh, uh, Erica, there's there something in the study also about uh, level of innovation, that the more diverse companies were more innovative. Sure. So um, when it comes to, I guess, launching new products and services, yeah. Um, yeah. Those, those businesses that had the better uh, diversity representation, they were saying that they were able to launch those new products and services um, an average of 24 times compared to the companies that did not have that diversity only 14 times. So I think a really significant difference in being able to bring new yeah. products, you know, and solutions to the market. That's one of the things that I've, I've often thought about. We've talked about with other guests on this show. It's like, and what I'm, again, I'm thrilled that you, you have, I think the first, person I've seen put out actual data proving the correlation to diversity in, in actual business growth. Um, but it, it kind of validates intuitively what we've known when you think about, okay, if I'm going to come up with new products, new services, uh, creative ways to solve existing problems, um, a workforce, a team of people that come from a diverse set of backgrounds and experiences, it seems intuitive that they would come up with more creative solutions because they're not quite so myopic. Um, but, 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 but you've got the data now that proves that that actually is true. Let me ask you this. So 
we recently put out a study. Um, this is why I think this is so cool that you're doing the same thing. Um, that, that correlated. So we asked 40 questions, five questions each across eight different stages of the employee life cycle from recruiting to hiring to onboarding all the way through post-employment. And so five, five, what I would call best practices in each of those eight areas. So 40 questions. And then at the end, we asked what best described you last year, a down year, flat growth or fast growth. And so there we were able to correlate how many times people say yes to those 40 questions and how that correlates to growth. How many, what percent of the eight categories did they say yes in and how that correlates to growth. Um, and, and we saw this huge difference. Uh, it turned out to be a 0.745 correlation to implementing just, I'd say run of the mill HR best practices, uh, a 0.745 correlation to revenue growth to the fast growth companies from the down year companies. Um, but the other thing that jumped out was the, the areas that had the biggest gap, it was recruiting, developing employees and retaining employees. And so it kind of jumped out that the, the fast growth companies, they did everything, I'd say almost everything right. Not perfect, but all categories of the employee lifecycle. Uh, their worst scores were better than the best scores of the down year folks. But those down year folks appeared to view HR as a more transactional thing, right? Hmm. Am I, do I have an yeah. onboarding checklist? Are my, uh, are, are my uh, uh, I-9s filed accurately? Uh, am I doing things in a legal kind of a way? But the, the fast growth companies, the biggest gap in scores was the recruiting development and, and retention of people. They invested in people. Tell me what what your data and maybe your experience says about that that softer side of HR. I hate saying it that way because I think it's the most impactful, powerful part of HR. Um, uh, what 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 is your what is what does your data say about DEI's impact on real employee productivity investing in them? Yeah, well. <laughs> So what we found was that, unfortunately, not all of the business owners understand just how impactful DEI can be to their business. Yeah. Um, so we, we found actually that almost half um, of our small businesses were saying that improving DEI um, was maybe only slightly important or prioritized to them mm -hmm. um, or, or not at all important. Um, which, so I think that that's showing us that there really is a lot more work that needs to be done to communicate and educate our small business owners, you know, on how important, how impactful it can be to their bottom line. Um, so there's definitely some more work to be done there. Yeah. Um, and I kind of repeat what I said at the, at the top, like Generally speaking, I think we give people grace that the average entrepreneur is a good person. They're not intentionally trying to be racially biased. They're not intentionally trying to be, you know, patriarchal, uh, it, it, right? But we all have unconscious biases, and I think maybe more importantly, there are there are there are unintended biases. So if I have like if I got a bunch of really great employees that came from University X Y Z. Why wouldn't I just continue to recruit from University XYZ? And what I'm unconsciously doing is I'm inheriting 
the selection bias that that university has. Not mine. I'm a good person. I'm not biased, right? But I'm inheriting their selection criteria because that's where I just got a bunch of good employees. But let's let's maybe jump to maybe I'll get your thoughts on on how these biases unintentionally impact small business owners. And then I want to probably spend the rest of our conversation just talking practical. What can what can we do about it? Sure. Well, you know, I think what you want to do as a small business owner is go back and really understand, you know, what are some of your values? What is it that you value? Um, you know, there are lots of different kinds of small businesses. Some are very, very community focused. They want to be a part of the community. They want the community to really identify with their brand, you know, the, the small mom and pop shops, you know, on the corner, et cetera. Um, and so you need to think about you know, what, what do I as a business owner stand for? What does my business represent in this community and in the industry, right? And, and how can I tie back to that? Um, and so for, you know, many business owners, it's, you know, what are our values? What's our mission? And how do we represent that either through our products or the services that we're offering, you know, et cetera. Um, and going back and looking at your, your employee base? What does your team look like today? And when you are looking at hiring, um, you know, people to come in, what are they adding to that team? Not necessarily what are you repeating that you already have, but what are you adding that maybe you don't have today? And I think that's a really important diversity question um, because diversity can take a lot of forms. You know, you know, it, 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 certainly we can talk about men and women, um, you know, racial, ethnicity, diversity, um, disabilities, veteran. But what we're talking about really is we're trying to get that diversity of thought. We want to have that diversity of experiences that people have and what they can bring in because you never know what is going to spark that next new idea that is really going to, you know, add to your bottom line. So you're, you're looking for that diversity of thought. And frankly, if you keep fishing in the same pool over and over again, you're going to get the same fish, right? Yeah. So you want to see how can I add, how can I expand? And, um, and I think that means, you know, again, getting out of that comfort zone that you may already be in. Um, and, and I think a lot of times businesses will say, yeah, but this has been successful for me up to this point. Um, you need to think about what's going to be, what's going to be even more successful for you in the future. Right. And so you really need to challenge yeah. yourself to kind of get out of some of those ruts that we get into, um, yeah. you know, and think about how can you, how can you source talent? How can you source new ideas? How can you really connect um, you, you know, with a wider variety of ideas and inspirations out there. I, I think the, the, we're at a really unique point in time, right? So um, I've, I've, I've delivered some talks. We talk about this topic in this show. Something I'm passionate about is this, this I'll call it a hundred year continuum of shifting power from employer to employee. And, and, and a lot of it is altruistic. But I think, I think foundationally, a lot of it has to do with just balance of demographics, right? Where based on birth rates and baby boomer, birth rates that produce baby boom generation and birth rates from 30 years ago, that is now the new entrance to the workforce. Literally, we're, we're, we're at an inflection point where there are more people older than working age than there are younger than working age. First time in, our, in US history this has ever happened. 
Um, you go to go to uh, populationpyramid.com. You can see this from U.S. for every every other uh, country in the world. And the, and we're in this transformation period right now, where we're used to the economy doing this, and that means you need more employees to match that economy, both on the production and consumption side. The available workforce is flattened, and it's it's not coming back based on birth rates that are baked baked thirty years ago, which means. This war for talent is not a big company thing anymore. The war for talent, we can blame we can blame a blue president or a red president. We can blame a war. We can blame a pandemic. It doesn't matter. I believe the real drivers are based on demographics that have been set in stone for 30 plus years. And whether it's altruism or simply supply and demand, employees get to vote with their feet. And unemployment rate is 3.4%. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when the April, the May jobs number blew out expectations, producing something like 380,000 jobs, almost 3x what was expected, we are in uncharted waters. And if you want, as a small business owner, to recruit talent, you have to expand your pool, right? Because you're just simply, not only is, it, is the result probably going to end up in a more diverse selection criteria, you're going to open your world up to more talent. Can, can you say more about what you see on this whole expanding the selection process is, is part of, uh, I don't know, a DEI, DEI maybe a, a journey that companies have to take? Sure. So I think that um, you're right. The landscape definitely is shifting and it looks so different now, even compared to 20 years ago, much less, you know, 30 or 40 Um, what's motivating people when they select a a job or a place that they want to invest their time in, right? Even that's just a mindset shift, right? Is where, where does an individual as an employee, where do they want to invest part of their life in, you know, in a company? And so they are looking at things, um, I think really differently compared to, um, you know, the, the eighties, nineties, um, you know, people were really looking at title and salary. Um, now they're looking at, they're, they're willing to sacrifice, you know, part of that salary and part of that title in order to get more accommodation for their life, to get that flexibility in their schedule. Um, you know, they're really looking at, and they're seeking out um, jobs where they, they can be part of something that is bigger than they are, right? So they're yeah. looking for companies that have a mission or a vision that have values that um, are really aligned with their personal values. So I think that the criteria that people are using um, is really changing. Um, I have a 25 year old um, and uh, he the, the, his thought process in the different companies and opportunities he's looking for, you know, yeah. is, is really quite different from when I was a 25 right. year old. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to see how the younger generations are coming in and they're really forcing a change in the whole conversation. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's really good for small businesses. Um, I think that that's a wonderful opportunity to be able to connect and bring, again, you have to know what your values are right? And how your business is aligning with those values and demonstrating those values. 
And it's a great opportunity to find um, that talent out there that is seeking that opportunity. You know, they're, they're looking for That's that. Right. So I think if you can communicate that, really bring that out in the conversation, it's going to help you attract the talent that you want. Yeah. And I, and I know you're not doing this. We, we in this conversation, uh, to everybody listening, this isn't finger wagging. you got to find your values to make sure you uh, d- acquire and develop a diverse workforce. It's, it's not that. We, we, we believe in the, in the uh, I, I think maybe the humanity of that being the right thing. Um, uh, and, and so that's a good thing, but just follow, follow the data. Again, the demographics in the 1980s, maybe the employees wanted one thing. The fact is based on supply demand of labor and unemployment rates, uh, employers had more power then. They could flex their muscles and say, you know, no, I'm only going to pay you this because if you you can say no to the job, there's some five people in line behind you to take it. That's not the case today, right? Employees have more power than ever before. And, and now they're the ones flexing their muscles. So it's, I want to work for an employer that gives me great experiences, life experiences, yes. and also experiences that I'm developing my skill set. So I have the career direction, the uh, path, that, path that I want, right? And because the supply demand curve, and depending on your industry, has tilted so much, I could choose to only work for a company that gives me the experiences I want, gives me the development path I want, and actually has not just a product they like, but a company that has the values that they believe in and align up with their values, and they want to get behind that. I've been uh, interviewing candidates, I'd say, in the last two years. In the last two years, I've been asked by candidates about our values, our diversity, how we treat humans more times in the last two years than the pri- previous 25 combined. The, I, I think the, the pendulum has, I'll say forever t- tilted that the employees are, have more power than ever before. And if for no other reason, if it's not altruism about being quote unquote the right thing to do and check your values, if you want to attract talent today, you need to really think about it and document and declare what you're going to be so people can opt in or opt out and not and not sign up for that, right? Yeah. And I think too, you know, the workplace in the US, you know, used to be very patriarchal, right? The the, the people at the top had all of the answers and those would cascade down, you know, and you would follow direction um, and you would come in at the beginning of your career and, um, you know, you'd, you'd stay in the same, you'd expect to stay in the same company 30, 40 years, right? Until you retired, um, there would be a pension plan to take care of you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think uh, now it's, it's completely different. You know, it's, it's, it's unheard of to stay with a company, you know, very right. rare to stay with a company for 30 years. Um, right. So you do see people moving companies and, and they're, they're looking for what suits their life, you know, at that moment. Right. Um, and, and a company that may work really well for them when they first get started, you know, they may be looking for a dairy, very different kind of an experience later on. And they also are coming into the workplace and they're expecting, um, they're expecting to be part of the conversation. They they have all of these ideas and they want yeah. to contribute those. So they're they're uh, oftentimes they're looking for some kind of a, a work experience where 
um, they're part of figuring that out. They're part of the, not just solving problems, but they're part of finding those opportunities. And so they really, you know, they want to be part of that. And I think that's a really wonderful, um, it's a new dynamic, certainly, but it's something that uh, I think really contributes to the innovation. Um, and uh, it's, it's a really exciting thing, I think, to see in, in business. Erica, I want you to I want you to say more on that because I watched an interview uh, someone had with you once where, where you talked about, and, and Hiscox, you did this. And, and so Hiscox, you know, big company, not small company, but, but I think the process could be exactly the same. When I think about, I think, I think DEI means a lot of things to a lot of people. So hopefully part of, part of today's conversation is bringing some clarity, clarity to that. But when I think about inclusiveness, it's not just, do I have an AD, ADA accessible bathroom or website, right? It's, Am I truly making people feel included in the process, including how we develop products, how we develop processes? At Hiscox, you did this where you actually involved the employees, what coming back to work post-pandemic life looked like, right? Can, can you kind of unpack some of that for us? Sure. So we... Um we did a lot, a lot of listening, frankly, a lot of listening and talking with our employees through surveys, um, interviews, et cetera, trying to understand um, what does the future of work look like for us? And uh, a lot of that had to do with where and when people were working, how they were directing that work. Uh, so we, we did a lot of listening, um, which, you know, for us, of course, was on a grand scale for small businesses, you know, <laughs> a smaller scale, but really yeah. what it comes down to is that listening and what is it that people want and need and how does that work with how we're going to provide services to our customers and meet those needs. Uh, so we, we did a lot of listening and from that we put together, um, what was for us a new hybrid work. Um, approach. And, uh, and that affected our technology, it affected our office space, you know, it affected our, um, our team relationships, etc. And um, what we ended up doing is we now have team charters. So each team actually um, we really encouraged and, and trained our managers in how to have these conversations with their teams to um, put together and then maintain these team charters where we talk about um, what is it that we need to do? What are those expectations? Um, what are the timings when we need to be available to each other and to our customers, whether those are internal or external customers? Um, yeah. What does that need to look like? How can we make sure that we're, you know, sharing ideas and that we're able to, you know, raise concerns or opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a really, a really wonderful way for us to come together, you know, reassess and reestablish what does it mean for us as a team? How are we going to work together effectively in a way that works for everybody, not not just for the team, you know, and not just for the individuals, but everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think what it resulted in was we, we definitely understood um, we had a lot more flexibility and definitely different expectations compared to um, what it was pre-pandemic. So, uh, and I think we've been really successful in maintaining that since. So, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's been a really wonderful really wonderful thing for us is having that conversation, allowing everybody to contribute and just figuring it out together as a team. It's uh, what jumped out to me when I, when I first heard that story and, and validated today is 
this doesn't have to be a big company thing, right? This doesn't have to be a cascading to managers kind of thing. You can be a company of five. You're an entrepreneur owner. You've got five team members. It's as simple as asking them their opinion on things, right? Um, any coaching you'd give going through that process about um, sometimes be careful. Don't, don't ask if you're not prepared to respond. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do what they request. What they request might be unreasonable. Maybe it's reasonable, but you don't have the ability to execute on it. Can, can, you, can you speak into that? So, Because I want entrepreneurs to feel confident that they can enter these conversations without setting them up, setting them up for a trap, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think, again, it goes back to listening, right? Keeping your ears open, asking questions, um, and, and being willing to, to talk about things. You, you want to create, you know, whether you've got a small, large team, department, whatever, you want to make sure, and, and what we would call it on the corporate side is developing psychological safety, right? Which may sound a little intimidating, but what that is, is having good conversations, having healthy conversations, right? Um, Cause that's really what we're talking is we're talking about building healthy companies. Um, and that's important to all of us. Again, whether you're a small company, large company or anything in between is you want to have a healthy environment, a healthy company that's strong and resilient. Uh, and part of that is having that environment where people, first of all, people feel like they can be who they are, that they don't have to hide anything when they come to work um, and that they can ask questions. They can raise concerns. They could bring you new ideas, right? And they're not going to be punished for that. You're right that, that we do need to have conversations. And sometimes people will raise ideas that just aren't feasible or, you know, or, or, or aren't going to make sense or actually, you know, are not going to be a great opportunity, right? But I think it's important for you to be open and have those conversations and learn from them. You know, it's like having a conversation with your family members at the dinner table, right? Um, yeah. It's great to listen to the ideas. And especially when you've got real little kids, you know, they may have these fantastic ideas that, of course, aren't feasible, right? But yeah. it's wonderful, I think, to explore some of those and try to understand, well, what is it that they're getting at? Or what is it that they envision? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that then is a great springboard to actually finding you know, other really good ideas. And maybe it's not in that first idea that comes through. Um, but if you can understand, well, you know, why do you think that that would be a benefit? Or what is it that is, you know, motivating you to, to, to bring this idea to the table? And I think that exploring that not only strengthens the relationship that you have with each other, right? And it's, and it's okay. And in fact, it's encouraged to bring ideas to the table. Um, but you can understand the motivations and it may, maybe that's not the idea you land on, but it may take you to a place that neither one of you had envisioned before. Right. So it, it's yeah. a springboard maybe to something else. So I think, I think you really and I could talk on, I think you and I could go down the psychology path uh, for another three hours. And it would probably be well received <laughs> at an HR conference. I'm going to bring it back for the entrepreneurs at the top of the discussion. And I'm reading from your study now, 72% of those with high to moderate racial and ethnic diversity among managers and owners have seen growth in the past two years, only 45%. So cutting back to nearly half of those with little diversity experience growth. 
So the data is super clear, huge impact on growth, good conversation on, on kind of, I think the whys, right? Um, mm-hmm. let, let, let's, be, let's, let's get super tactical for the, the back half of our conversation. What specifically can small business owners, entrepreneurs, managers at mid-sized companies, what can they do? Sure. Well, I think one of the first things you want to do is if you're just brand new to this, take a look at where are you today? What does your team look like? What does the, your community look like? You know, and again, go back to your values. What do you stand for? What's important to you? Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you want to take a look at uh, your team members and, and what do you have today? What can you add to it? You know, what might be missing? And what about your customers today? Take a look at your customers. Who are they? Um, and then what's that customer base that you want to have in the future, right? Do you want to expand? And if so, are there new markets that you want to tap into? Are there opportunities out there um, that you really want to get into? Um, and, and so I would say take a look at those, really kind of assess um, and figure out where are you today? Where do you want to go with this? And, you know, are there opportunities, untapped opportunities that you want to go for? And the most important thing is, and I think this is something that really holds people back, is they're afraid of making a mistake. Um, and, and I think today, again, I don't want to get into politics. They can be so polarizing, right? And I think that just yeah. adds to the fear factor. And, and really, it doesn't need to be a scary thing. It's just get started right? Start somewhere, start anywhere. Um, don't try to tackle it all at once. Don't, don't start everywhere, right? That's, that's going to be defeating before you even, even get, get started, but start somewhere. Um, you know, if there is something that is important to your community, you know, learn more about it. Um, you can always start by asking your employees and say, what's important to you? Where, where do you think we could go if we wanted to be more diverse and get more ideas? I, I love that idea. I team? love that. Idea. And, 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 the, and you can slap me on this one if you want. To, to me, DEI is not the end game. The purpose of doing this is to grow a, your business. And we're here to say today, and this is the first study I've ever seen that gives data that proves more diverse workforce helps you to grow your business. So this is a means to an end. It's not an end itself. I, I love what you said about people. I, I think people are afraid. Anything, it just, I mean, I hate it because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a newsy and I, I'm someone who intentionally tries to consume content on all assets, whether I, asides, whether I agree or not, just to hear all the arguments. And it just, dare I say, it's disgusting how polarized everything is uh, uh, in, in, in how political, unfortunately, really regrettably how politicalized this topic can be really, this is just trying to bring as many ideas to the forefront as possible to solve problems, uh, to, to serve customers, to come up with new ideas. Uh, this, this doesn't have to be some scary politicized thing at all. Yeah. Well, and I think too, Mike, what people may not understand is they're probably already doing things that a lot of other companies, you know, are doing to, you know, accommodate that diversity or try to attract, you know, different um, people with different backgrounds and perspectives. And they may already be doing some of those things and not realizing it, right? Because it doesn't have a label on it. Can, so can you give an example? Like, 
Yeah, yeah. like uh, accommodating um, maybe uh, a new parent, right? Um, you know, right. A, a mother or father, adoptive parent, et cetera, and just accommodating them with maybe some flexibility in their schedule. That's part of diversity <laughs> and inclusion, right? right? Um, it seems like a no brainer. You don't have to put a fancy label on it. Um, but it's just, it's giving that, that flexibility or, um, maybe adjusting your dress code or your uniform, right. To accommodate somebody who has, um, a a religious need, you know, maybe to wear a headscarf or or something like that, or, um, you know, giving somebody uh, a, a slightly different work schedule, you know, to accommodate religious services or prayers or things like that. Um, I yeah. think some of these things are things that we're already, a lot of us are already doing, um, and we just didn't necessarily label it as diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, we we're always told we need to diversify our stock portfolio, right? And that's usually um, an attitude about avoiding risk. And I think really for small business, when you diversify, whether that's your um, your vendors that you work with, um, or, you know, your, your advertising campaigns, um, things like that, it's really about taking advantage of opportunities, right? Not avoiding yeah. risk. It's not compliance yeah. or, you know, just, you know, trying to be legal, et cetera, check some boxes. It's really about exploring and being open to those new opportunities that are out there, you know, whether you're aware of what those could be or not. I, I so. think, I think that hits the nail on the head. It's whether you're aware or not. I mean, group, group think can be fantastic. Group think can be lethal, right? Very dangerous. Right? Very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hi- history is filled with really bad examples, Probably less common, less known would be great examples where everybody does rally around great ideas. But when everybody thinks the same, that's what's dangerous because you never, you you never invite a different viewpoint. Dare I, you know, you know, thinking about Lincoln's uh, team of rivals, you know, where I don't think either one of us are suggesting a small business owner should intentionally hire some people who think differently than them and disagree with them, like like Lincoln did. But there's an extreme example about trying to create a, a cabinet, if you will, a management team, a company where people view problems differently. They view customers differently. They view opportunities differently because you don't have to all agree on the solutions in, in, in the results of, of this analysis and the, these discussions. But you, you're, you're silly if you don't at least examine the other opportunities, right? Right. Can you maybe speak... Erica, I'm curious your thoughts on when there is disagreement, right? So um, you you are successful at making your company more diverse. One of the goals of which is to bring in more viewpoints, which inevitably is going to probably create, maybe conflict is too strong of a word, but not everybody's going to agree on the paths to take. How, how do you navigate those waters? So I think that comes down to how you're building your team and that team environment. And so, um, you know, building that environment where people know that they can bring their ideas to the table and that that it's respected, um, you know, knowing how to talk with each other, um, you know, being inclusive in how you do approach those challenges so that, you know, you may have different ideas and of course you can't follow all of the ideas, right? You're going to, you're going to come up with an approach and, and follow that. But 
you know, showing that there is respect for people bringing those different ideas. And um, also, I think, uh, pivoting, right? So if you try an approach and this, you know, maybe this addresses the problem somewhat, but, you know, being open to how can we adjust? How can we, you know, make sure that we're paying attention to this so that if we're not achieving what we want to achieve, you know, we're able to pivot pretty quickly, right? And be able to respond maybe in a slightly different way, tweak it here, tweak it there, um, and, and know that everybody's part of that, right? So, you know, taking in that, that feedback and just being open to it, I think creates an environment where people aren't afraid to raise a problem or a challenge. Um, you know, if they do see something going sideways, they're not going to let it sit for too long, right? So that you yeah. can address things and be a little bit more nimble, um, and you can't you can't be everywhere at once as a small business owner. You really do rely on your team members to you know alert you to things that may not be going the way you want them to, um, or where you're not you know achieving goal. You don't want to be surprised, right? So you want to create that environment where people can can bring those things up um, and know that they're going to be respected, even if their proposed solution is not you know is not the choice that you make every time. Um, I think acknowledging that. Um, you know, recording that um, and maybe you put it on the shelf for a little while, but coming back to it and, and taking another look, going back to maybe the person who brought that idea up to you and saying, hey, you know, we, we tried this. It's not, it's not going the way we wanted it to, you know, what are some of your ideas as to what we could do to, you know, to address this? Um, and, and even opportunities, you know, if you, if you do decide to, to pursue a new opportunity, maybe that's not going the way, or maybe you're not optimizing it fully, right? Going back and checking in with your team members, particularly those who are on the front lines, you know, dealing with your customers directly, et cetera, and going back and checking in and monitoring and saying, hey, I'm paying attention to this. And I really value your opinion and your thoughts on, you know, what could we do here? What could we do there? What's going well? What do we need to continue doing? Um, I think just checking in regularly, again, this is not some fancy, you know, new idea. This is something that a, a lot of our successful you know, business owners are already doing. They're already checking yeah. in regularly, but it's, it's gathering that information and really listening and paying attention to it. And I think acknowledging an idea that someone brings to you, even if you don't end up going down that road, I think acknowledging it and showing respect for the idea and for the person who brought it to you, I think that goes a long way towards creating that environment where that person's going to want to continue to, you know, bring ideas and, you know, and alert you when things aren't going well, because they, it's, 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 it's a really healthy environment. And that's really what you're striving for is a healthy yeah. team, a healthy business. There's a million other reasons why listening to your employees is, uh, is good. What, what other what other tactical advice do you have for small businesses as they, dare I say, maybe begin their DEI journey? So I think that, you know, it's one thing to when you've got a, a company of 20, 30, 40 employees, right? But what if you're a really, really small business, right? And you don't necessarily yeah. expect that you're going to be growing as far as headcount is concerned, right? There are a lot of other ways that you can develop and cultivate that uh, diversity of thought. 
um, you know, and look at beyond your employees, you know, who else are you working with? Who are your vendors, right? Um, what are the different vendors? Who are the community partners that you're working with? The industry partners. Um, how can you work together? I've, I've seen some beautiful things happen when community businesses come together and, um, you know, really form even a, a coalition, right, to achieve something in the community um, to really maybe push for an adjustment in, in the you know, local laws um, or, you know, to bring a new um, service or atmosphere to the community. I think there's some really amazing things that you can do when you reach out beyond just your immediate team. Um, and you reach out to see how can you partner, you know, again, with those different groups that are out there. Um, and I think that does a wonderful thing for your culture as well. And it gets back to that, you know, how can I be part of something that's bigger than bigger than I am? And I think a lot of people are looking for that. And I think it's one of the beauties of small business is that, you know, that 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 understanding that you can really have an impact where you live, right? The community where you live and work. Um, I think is a really exciting thing for a lot of folks out there. And if you can connect to that vibe, right, you've got, you've got a really powerful, powerful thing. Um, so I don't think it's, it's, well, yes, you do need to listen to your and pay attention to your employees. That's not the limit. Like that's, that's not the end all be all. You need to do that. And you need to look at your community. You need to look at your vendors. You need to look at your partners. Uh, so I think I think all of that uh, uh, gives you a lot of different places that you can start, um, a lot of different places that you can look curious, at as you, say you more, continue to. Say, say more about partners and vendors. I think that's something that I, I, I don't even necessarily think of, but that's that's an it's an interesting point, you know. Sure. So I think that, uh, for instance, when you're looking at your vendors, you know, who are your suppliers? Who do you typically work with? And, and in some cases, you're going to be, you may be quite limited. And in other places, um, you know, I, I look at, for instance, like a restaurant. If you're looking at who does your, your, um, your food supply, right, that might be limited. But who prints up your menus? who provides, you know, your linens, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you may have some opportunities to be able to expand and diversify a little bit there. And I think a really great place to start is look at other minority owned businesses. There may be um, businesses that are, are looking to um, get a start um, or may not be as well known in your community. Um, I think it's worthwhile to take a look at what they might be able to offer to you and to be able to provide that kind of support to another small business um, it is a great place to start. Um, you can also take a look at um, how are you investing in the industry, you know, in your own industry, and are there opportunities perhaps to mentor others? Um, and I think one of the beauties of those mentoring relationships is you typically think of the mentor um, you know, providing the advice and the wisdom and guidance to the mentee. But in fact, um, mentors, I think if they're really smart, they benefit quite a bit from that exchange of ideas because they're um, tapping into someone who maybe doesn't have years and years of, in, of industry or business experience, but they've, they're coming to it with a wholly fresh perspective and they've got really um, unadulterated ideas, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and ways that they think about the world and, and ways that they perceive what's going on around them that they can bring and really enrich, I think, 
the way you perceive your own business. And you may be able to look at things with, you know, fresh eyes or different kind of perspective or look at it through their lens. Um, so I think mentoring is a great opportunity as well. And it could be mentoring someone from um, local school or uh, someone who's uh, maybe trying to break into the industry, you know, in, in, a, in a different way. Uh, I, I think that mentoring is a wonderful way to, um, you know, add to that diversity of thought as well. Something that kind of jumped in my head is as you're talking about like, uh, you know, the restaurant who prints our menus. Maybe I have to go with the mainstream large supplier for price and quality and reliability that I can't get everything I need from local markets. That would just be too much work for me to write. I need a single source. There's probably good business reasons for that. But like who prints my menus? I would assume there's a bunch of, and I'll put myself in this cold hearted capitalist pig category. It's like, well, I'm just going to do whoever can do the cheapest. You know, this is a non-issue. Why should I think about this? I, I would come back to your building an employment brand. If it's 1983 and the employers have all the power compared to the employees, because if that person says no to the job that you're offering at the wage that you're offering it, there's five standing lines behind them. That's not the case. So forget any altruism involved, whether you have any or not. That's not the case in 2023, and it's not going to be the case in 2026, right? You have to build an employment brand, and I don't think you should underestimate the impact. I don't think employers should underestimate the impact of simple things, like if you tell your employees, hey, guys, wh wh where should we get our, our menus printed? I want to help the community as we do this, and as long as the price is competitive, the printer might be a family member or a cousin or a friend in need of one of your employees. And the amount of goodwill that you can generate from that is unbelievable, right? Or, exactly. you know, but we were, uh, my, my family and I, for Father's Day, we went and saw a movie on Sunday and we're strolling through this shopping district and there's a store. It was, it was a women empowering women store. And I just started chatting with one of the, one of the uh, uh, clerks it was clear she was working there, not because of the products themselves, but because she was all about the mission of that, of that company, right? Mm -hmm. Your employees will align themselves with missions. And if as simple as where you order the toilet paper and get your, your menus printed. Now, if you do this in a way that is about the community or about diversity, you have to kind of brag about it. So, uh, you know, you, you got to let it be known so people can know about it and therefore align to it. But th there's, there's super greedy capitalist pig reasons you should be doing this still. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think, you know, people want to, people want to associate with brands, you know, that they feel like, they're part yes. of, right? That they're, right. they're part of that family, right? Or part of that vibe. They want to be associated with it or align so well with who they are. And, um, you know, I think that uh, if you can tap into that, that's magic. Totally. That's magic, you know? Totally. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you can, if you can do that, um, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Erica, is there anything that you'd want to say in closing? Just, Maybe reiterate the impact diversity has on growth for small businesses and what would be your final thoughts on your best advice for small businesses? 
I think it comes down to three things. First of all, um, actions over words. I think that's really important. And we've talked a lot about actions today. Um, you know, if, if this is something that you, you want to do or you want to learn more about a particular community, um, you know, I, I think that you need to take action, right? You need to figure out how, how can I take action here um, in a way that's authentic, you know, to, to me and my business and what, you know, what we stand for. Um, so I would say action over words. Um, I think you need to think about this as this is about creating and maintaining a really healthy business, right? It's just like, it, it, it's just like uh, your body, right? Maintaining a healthy body. It takes, you know, you got to start, takes steady practice. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one and done, right? So it's something you need to do over time. Um, it's a long-term commitment. Um, you make good decisions, right? And you need to maintain it. Right. So that, that's what we're talking about really is, is maintaining, you know, creating and maintaining a healthy business. Um, and then if you aren't sure where to start, just start somewhere, right. Talking yeah. to your employees, learning about, you know, a particular um, aspect or category of diversity that maybe you don't know um, very well and just diving in and get started, start somewhere. Don't feel yeah. like you have to start everywhere, start somewhere. And you'll That's build great. momentum from there. That's great. Maybe my closing thoughts for folks would be would be this: you know, if you are if you have a thousand employees, you can put just you can put discrete plans together to make sure your workforce looks like your rep representative talent pool. Uh, and I think going back in history, maybe that's uh, was part of the focus of DEI, and maybe part of the reason why small businesses. I think maybe haven't embraced as much as we would want them to. If you have five employees, hard to become representative totally of, an, a, of a very large community. Start by focusing on diversity of thought. Coincidentally, diversity of thought is gonna probably look an awful lot like the diversity of your community in the places you recruit talent from. Um, but this is really about, I love the way you said it, Eric, it's about creating a healthy business. And a healthy business it's, it's not five people with, you know, monocular kind of vision of, of the world. It's what are the, what are the opportunities? What are the risks? How do we look at this from different angles? What are people's different experiences, their, their feelings that will make you a stronger, better company. It will help you to solve uh, bigger business challenges the right way. It'll help you to innovate new products and services. Uh, and, it, and, you know, the punchline it's, here, I'll read, just read it again. Right from the Hiscox survey, 72% of those with high to moderate racial and ethnic diversity among managers and owners have seen growth in the past two years. 45% that did not have diversity experience growth. So 72% versus 45. The data couldn't be more clear that diversity is not just some HR concept that people talk about at SHRM conferences. This is hard hitting stuff for small business owners, entrepreneurs. Think about it in the lens of how am I going to grow my business? Erica, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to everybody else. We will I hope you enjoyed today's show uh, and we will talk to you next week. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. 
Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth, not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws, visit AssureSoftware.com.